Welcome to 30 Brave Minutes, a podcast of the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. And 30 Brave Minutes will give you something interesting to think about. I am Ashley Allen, the Interim Associate Dean of the College, and I am delighted to present our podcast today, the title of which is Reading and Writing Together, The Advantages of Exploring Literacy as a Group. On today's show, I'll be joined by our Interim Dean, Dr. Richard Gay, as well as two UNCP guests, Jessica Cologan and Elise Dixon. Jessica is the Dean of the Library at UNC Pembroke, and this is her first year with us. She arrived from Jacksonville, Florida, where she was the Director of the Library at Jacksonville University. Um, And she's gonna share a little bit about her experience with book clubs and give us some do's and do nots for making them successful. Uh, Dr. Elise Dixon is the director of the Writing Center and an assistant professor in our English department. Elise is also new this year, having received her PhD in writing and rhetoric from Michigan State University. Elise spends the majority of her time writing and reading the writing of others, so we will discuss the benefits of writing as a group. We hope you enjoyed this segment of 30 Brave Minutes. Good afternoon, you guys. How are you doing today? Great. Doing very well. Thank you. Wonderful. I'm so excited to have both of you with us. Um, Most of all, I'm excited to hear a little bit about your experience transitioning over to UNCP. I know that both of you are new here. This has been your first year. with us. And so I'd love to hear just a little bit about the things that you've enjoyed the most and maybe some of the challenges that you've experienced as a new faculty member for Elise and then the new dean of the library for Jessica. So Elise, why don't you start us off with just some of the things that you've enjoyed and maybe some challenges? I definitely came to UNCP because of the student body. I really wanted to work with um, with students from multiple walks of life and from different backgrounds, and that has absolutely not disappointed. The students here are the best. They're the best. They're the best part of UNCP. Um, everybody is so hardworking and genuine, and um, they're just a delight. I love every day working with the students at UNCP. Another uh, another true personal favorite of UNCP is Fried Chicken Friday. I can't speak <laughs> highly enough of chicken <laughs> cafeteria. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it has definitely been. I'm sure it's a weird year for everyone, um, and it was an odd time for me to come in as both an instructor and or, or as a professor and as an administrator because so many things are online. And uh, and this the campus as it is right now, where it's pretty quiet and we haven't been able to do a whole lot in person. This is what is normal to me. And so often, almost every day, I wonder what is actually normal to everyone else. So and the writing center has been fully online this year as well. So I've definitely had a few students just pop into my office wondering where they're supposed to be this semester and last semester too, because we, you know, everybody's used to the face-to-face situation and it's not what we can do right now. But overall, it has been a really lovely experience coming here. And um, I'm so thrilled to work with so many wonderful students and so many staff and faculty members who are just as invested as the students in the students as I am. That's, those are my favorite things, plus the chicken. Well, we're <laughs> the chicken. We're we're delighted to have you with us. You've already added so much to the campus and to the writing center 
And I can't wait to see how things develop in that area. And for those of us who have been on campus for a long time now, uh, the change in food traffic has really been difficult for many of us. Mm -hmm. um, but we're so glad you're with us, and I'm glad you like the, the food in the calf. So, <laughs> so, Jessica, how about you? Well, a lot of the same the same things that Lisa's mentioned. I mean, I interviewed during the pandemic, and I remember when I came here doing the interview, I really never got to see the full scope of what the university is like. But as far as coming here to campus and trying to make that connection, that is an area that um, I think I'm struggling with. For one thing, I'm not really good at not meeting people in person. So if we're all covered up, I'm losing that um, that recognition. Um, and even in our own department. So here in the library, we just have under 30 employees. Some people are still working from home and things like that, but the library has been open. In fact, now with some easing restrictions, we're staying open until uh, 11 at night and our plan is to stay open until 2 a.m. the week before finals week and finals week. So that's that's what I've noticed. I do not interact directly with students on a day-to-day -day basis um, because uh, of my role here, but, but um, I am very interested in seeing what the campus looks like when it's when it's full and I also want to see what it's like when there's all those community events that I've heard about. Um, yeah. Because I feel like I've kind of missed everything. I think we all missed a lot of things this past year. I agree. I'm so looking forward to uh, everything getting back to some version of normal, uh, hopefully in the fall. So that that's really what I'm pumped about. I think it's going to be a whole new ball game then crossing my fingers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm really thrilled to have both of you together here at the same time because we've got the Dean of the library, Jessica can talk to us a lot about books, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot about reading, especially um, in on topic for discussing the process of reading together through like book clubs. And I know those have really taken off um, especially during the pandemic, right? This desire to connect and more people maybe have time for reading. I don't know, we can discuss some of that. Um, but then also Elisa's here as the director of the Writing Center and she can talk to us more about um, that process of writing, maybe having groups that you write together, sort of there's an accountability there that we can discuss and, um, and how those things might go together. So. I think let's start talking about the book club thing first. So I might start Jessica off with these questions. Um, so she yeah. gives us all about books. Um, but I first just like a little general overview about what a book club is, um, what purpose it serves, et cetera. Okay. Well, I can tell you that um, book clubs really serve a lot of purpose depending on the kind that you start. Now you have those social ones, which are a lot of fun, a lot of foods involved, and a lot of friendly discussion. I, right. I belong to some in the past that were just, you know, different friends that I knew when I was in graduate school. And then I evolved to other book clubs um, that were part of some community service organizations. I do know that there are also academic book clubs that take place. And those are, you know, with your peers, 
to read common literature and have discussion about the current topics within the field. And then also there are community wide book clubs that are generally through the either a public library. They have those really large book clubs where they bring in the guest speaker and they and they put together different books that are a topic for the community. But then even uh, translating that over into an academic book club, some campuses do have community-wide reads as well. I want to say one of the most fun book clubs I've ever been a member of was that one that I mentioned when I was a student myself. And I, I co-hosted a book club for a few years with a friend who was involved in an art museum. And between the two of us, we did, we alternated nonfiction books versus fiction books. And sometimes we just had an open book club where um, whenever, whatever the topic was, we had to bring, so whatever book we read, we had to bring an appetizer and a drink match the theme of the book that you were bringing Ooh, and that yeah. was pretty creative and that was that was fun i have a question i'm curious how often the food and the drinks dictated the topic of the book <laughs> i think sometimes we chose those books based on what uh, a recipe that we had it was back when i don't know if you remember that girl with the pearl earring book came out do you remember that one and i remember specific vodka drinks that were pretty strong and then we were eating like hard-boiled eggs with caviar <laughs> with it was a great it was a great mix it was a good experience I think yes I I remembered it the next day <laughs> <laughs> well so much of what drives book clubs uh is that community kind of experience that building community with other people and I'm just curious as to how challenging it is to maintain an active kind of book club environment when you can actually gather in person, right? And you're having to do these things um, over Zoom or whatnot. And, you know, we see everything about happy hour on Zoom and things, but I know it's it's definitely a different feeling. So yeah, yeah. what's your perception of um, COVID and how that has impacted the book club experience? Well, there are some best practices that need to be planned out prior whenever you are planning and hosting a book club. First of all, it's too much for one person. So if you can have someone who is co-chairing a book club, because life will happen and you can't make it every single, every single meeting um, and setting up the expectations. So for one thing, figure out, is this book club going to meet every single month? Is it going to meet every other month? Because sometimes it can get difficult, especially if the topic of the book isn't really your interest, but you're still reading it along because you're part of the group. Um, so sometimes you struggle to get through the book. So if you have expectations as far as planning when you're going to meet, um, whether it's every month or every other month, then also sharing the responsibilities of coordinating and reminding mm -hmm. members of the book club. Because the other is 
uh, coming up with the questions, if you, depending what book you're reading, whether it's nonfiction or fiction, sometimes the fiction books, they come with the, the, the list at the back of the book for the book club, because they're trying to help you facilitate the book club. And then sometimes if not, um, it's always good to have about four or five uh, questions, usually for the nonfiction books that you kind of come up with. And that generally falls on the responsibility of the person who's hosting the book club as well. Um, that's what I've always noticed as far as a best practice. And then sometimes it's good to know when is the book club ending? Um, because as with an academic year, sometimes you realize that there's a season where you just need to take a break from the meetings. And I have been in book clubs where it faded away and it's, it's easier if you were to say, we're gonna meet these certain months, take a break, meet up again. And if you have that list of books prior for the whole year, like if you have a planning meeting in the beginning and say, what book does everyone wanna read this year? And you make that list, it's easier. So those are some, uh, you know, some recommendations I would have. And if you want to research some of the books beforehand, because you can get the books at public libraries or academic libraries, and also see if they're made available electronically. Um, because, um, you know, sometimes if, you, if you're going through a book club and you have a list of 10 books for the year, you don't really want to purchase them all. You want to check them out at a library uh, or figure out how to get your hands on them. Now, if it is a community book club or something that's through the library, they generally will have pre-purchase a huge quantity of them already too. So you can pick out those books. Is that how the Libby app works? I know you, we've talked about that in the oh past. Oh my goodness. So the Libby app is by Overdrive. It is a, an Overdrive is a, uh, a vendor that sells either, they sell books and, well, they sell. They connect to libraries. It's a subscription that generally public libraries have. And the books are made available either in audio format or, um, or electronically. And they can get downloaded to your tablet or Kindle, or you can listen to them as an audio, which is how I use it. But you can download the book and, and stream it. And it will download it enough that you can stream it and then set it how fast you want to um, to play it. Because I like to listen to my books at double speed. And I just put in my, my earbuds when I'm cleaning around the house or doing yard work or walking on my treadmill. And I'm constantly listening to books. I'm impressed with this double time situation. I'm just going to say, I listen to my podcast at like 1.2 uh -huh. speed. You know, I tried double speed. It was too much. So um, it forces you to focus. It does. It really does force you to focus. Uh, well, that's wonderful. I've, I really enjoy hearing that description of book clubs and kind of best practices. I think that's really wonderful for somebody who might be setting up to start one as well. This is Chancellor Robin Cummings, and I want to thank you for listening to 30 Brave Minutes. Our faculty and students provide expertise, energy, and passion driving our region forward. 
Our commitment to Southeastern North Carolina has never been stronger through our teaching, our research, and our community outreach. I want to encourage you to consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke. With your help, we will continue our impact for generations to come. You can donate online at uncp.edu slash give. Thanks again for listening. Now back to more 30 Brave Minutes. I want to transition to Elise and talk about some writing groups because it's sort of a similar connected experience where you're writing, um, but you're not writing alone. And, and you're like, I guess, allowing other people to read your writing, which can be a bit of a... Yes, it's an act of vulnerability for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just talk to me a little bit about how writing groups work and, um, you know, if you have some best practices for those, feel free to share them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, the first thing is, I, I think a general misconception that we all have, especially in, um, a you know, a Western, typically European type culture that we currently live in is this idea that writing, like many things that we do in our life is individual and that we are kind of alone in the act. But writing is so collaborative, almost always, it certainly is in my classroom, but, um, that's part of the work of the writing center in general is to get people to start seeing writing as a collaborative act. Um, almost everybody, even if you don't think of yourself as a collaborative writer, you usually end up having a conversation with someone you love or know about, about what you're writing. You know, even if it, I often just tell my husband about things that I'm writing and he doesn't care at all, but I just need to talk to somebody about it or I know a lot of my students still send their papers to their moms <laughs> to look over before they submit. Um, you know, we all have, we tend to have at least one trusted person that we share our writing with, um, or we are forced to in class, which is, you know, it's just a part of college. Um, so writing groups are an extension of that. It's a way for us to see writing as, as a communal act that we can do as a community, as the people that can trust each other. Um, in my past experience, a lot of times in writing groups, we are all writing our own individual things. Um, you could be writing something together. I certainly write with other people when we're doing, you know, collaborative articles and things like that, or a group project would be another example of what a student might do. Um, but in writing groups, writing groups tend to be, you know, I would say the best number, if we're talking about best practices, the best number of people in a writing group is going to be somewhere between three and five. Five is a little bit on the higher end. And um, typically writing groups can really be formatted however you want. It's good to have one person who is in control of the Google folders and is ready to facilitate just some interactions. Um, but you don't necessarily need that, especially if you've developed a good relationship with the people that you're working with. Um, in the past, when I have run writing groups or been in them myself, we tend to organize it around uh, about we meet once a week or once every other week and we spend an hour just writing. Um, we're there just in each other's presence, writing in our, in our own little spaces with each other. It's a good way to, um, to maintain a little bit of, uh, 
consistency for yourself. I know that sometimes I don't want to write, but if there is someone next to me who knows I'm supposed to write, I will do the writing. <laughs> and that's yes. So it's like an, a system of accountability. Right. It's an accountability system. So we usually spend the first hour writing. And then the second hour, we are usually, we've usually committed to giving one person in that group feedback for that day. So um, we will have read whatever they wrote, you know, ahead of time. And, uh, and provided feedback in the margins, however that looks, you know, I, I really have always used Google Docs for the most part, but you can do it in OneDrive or in any other software of your choice. Um, or, you know, if you're a hard copy type person <laughs> with a pen. Um, so providing some written feedback and then spending a good hour, half an hour to an hour, kind of going person by person about their overall impressions, types of types of things that they didn't fully understand, it's actually sometimes very helpful to work with people who are outside of your discipline or interest. Um, I've worked in writing groups where we've got someone in the social sciences and somebody who is, you know, working on their MBA and someone else who is a, an elementary education, you know, PhD student. And because no one is an expert in anyone's field, they can, we can ask a lot of clarifying questions that helps uh, whoever the writer is for that week, understand what what gaps there might be in their writing and how they might um, ex explain things a little bit more clearly to both, uh, you know, someone who's in your discipline and to someone who isn't. Uh, it's good sometimes to have a facilitator who understands having, who understands what it means to talk about the different kinds of moves we make in writing. We often are, you know, um, uh, a metaphor I like to use is when we watch someone dancing in a performance, we see that they're dancing, but the dance is consisting of multiple different kinds of very specific moves that that dancer has practiced over time and might even know the names to those moves. And we don't know the names of those moves unless we ourselves are classically trained, but we see them all put together and it's been turned into an art. And when we're writing, we're doing the same thing. We make specific moves and in our disciplines, each of our disciplines have different kinds of moves that we value more than others. And being able to see those moves, acknowledge them, and also to explain what move you're making to someone who has never seen that move is a really good way to learn more about yourself as a writer. And I'll maintain forever that I am the writer that I am now because of all my years of writing center tutoring reading other people's work and learning how to explain their work to themselves and learning from them how they see their work has certainly helped me become a better writer myself. And that's another reason why a writing group or any collaborative act of writing is a really, really good practice to have both as a student and as a scholar um, and even just, you know, person who loves to write. I think having a writing group, no matter where you are in your life is is a is a good thing to do if you like writing or if you want to be working on honing your craft in whatever way or if you just need someone to hold you accountable and babysit you while you write <laughs> i loved your dance analogy i think that would be really uh helpful for lots of people to hear that so i hope i hope that resonates with our listeners the way it did with me i really appreciated that i was wondering if you could talk any about technology perhaps and how technology may be uh, informing both the act of writing and reading. I have a Speechify app. It reads the PDF and it's in a, it's in a computer 
monotone voice, mm -hmm. but it reads. And sometimes, once again, as I'm driving around or listening, because I always have something in my ears. Now, you know, on, on the weekends, I'm always listening in my earbuds or something. But uh, you can listen to different research articles or or if you're with the ebook package, you can download and do a print to PDF. You can generally print to PDF about 30 to 50 or more pages, depending on the, the variations of what the database allows you to download. And if you bring that up in your Speechify app, it will read it to you. When I was working on my PhD, I used to do some text-to-speech stuff with my longer articles because for one year, my husband and I were living apart, and so we would have to commute to see each other, and uh, that was like a four-hour drive of lost reading time, which is such a mm -hmm. such a problem when you're in graduate school. <laughs> so I did a lot of listening, and um, and then as soon as I would get to my destination, I would stop and write down some notes, you know, afterwards because if I didn't, I it, most important parts would I would get lost. And I think even just taking some time, maybe even just reminding students like, okay, you've listened to this. Now would be a great time to just write down some notes of the key points that you felt like were most important for you um, right. just so that you can retain it. And we all know, you know, the studies that have shown that when we write things down by hand, especially, we're able to retain that information a little bit longer. And, and just our, our sort of final thoughts about book clubs and writing groups, you know, if you could choose one thing that really makes those experiences a success or one thing that really sinks them, mm. what, what would that be? I think just off the top of my head, I can say uh, for, for me, the first word that came to mind was trust. Uh, in a writing group situation, you have to you have to trust people enough to be vulnerable with your writing. It's scary to share your writing always. So, um, but connected to that trust then is also commitment. Like everybody needs to be committed to doing their, their work so that people can, people can actually get the feedback that they need. And you can, you can generate commitment. You don't have to, not everybody has to be intrinsically motivated to be committed. And I say this because <laughs> if you are creating your own writing group, one thing that you can do is it's COVID times, but hopefully soon. One thing that you can do is meet in a place where there is food and drink. And whoever, if and if the person who was supposed to submit their writing for the week didn't do it, they have to pay. <laughs> or if somebody <laughs> didn't do it, they have to pay. So, and it's just agreed upon from the beginning. Um, and if everybody does it, then everybody just pays <laughs> their own. But, so that's one way to generate commitment if you know if you need some extrinsic motivation as opposed to intrinsic. So trust and commitment are the two things I would say. Do you do you think it's better to have a, a work group with uh, people who are like-minded or different than uh, different than you are? I have done both. I have worked in writing groups where we are all strangers at the beginning and um, and all from different disciplines and therefore definitely not like-minded because we're in no way similar. And I have also generated writing groups where we're the same or in the same discipline and have similar thought processes. I actually like the interdisciplinary, everyone's a little different kind of groups because 
um, you get more of a diversity of stuff to read and you get to really know people because they have to do a lot more explaining. Um, so, but they both work well, it just depends. Jessica, I'm, I'm curious though, I wanna know what, you're, what you think are the, the, the key things that you need to have a successful book club things that I think make a good book club, an interesting book that challenges you, good food, and, you know, the opportunity to communicate and connect with other people to talk about a book. I find that exciting, um, you know, which is why I'm a librarian, so. <laughs> As we were talking today, there were a couple of things that sort of struck me. Uh, so much of what we talked about was how text is being translated into sound, mm. right? And the visual of looking at the book and the layout of the book is, is disappearing. And um, the, I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. Even the way we were writing, Elise was talking about writing on her, you know, by speaking. And I'm curious what impacts that's going to have for education, particularly if this starts happening at a really early age in terms of one's ability to read and write. Uh, I'm curious if these are skills that, you know, in the future we will be doing it all orally or um, in, with spoken word. Uh, will, will there always be a place for the written word? That's so interesting to me because, you know, early, early classical rhetoricians who we now see as like the, you know, our Aristotles, our Plato's and stuff, there was, there were lots, there was lots of fear that writing was going to make students lazy because they wouldn't be memorizing things. They could always just see things. They would write it down and have it so their brains would never have to fill up with <laughs> stuff because it was on paper. It's interesting now that we're coming back to like, oh, well, if we're, if what will our literacy look like if we're going back to uh, more oral history, listening and speaking? Um, and I think, you know, even something like the pencil was once was once a technology that people were nervous about because it was going <laughs> to impact the way that we learn. And so I guess my answer is, Perhaps it will impact literacy and the way that we teach literacy and learning, but up to this point, every time that we've had a big technological shift, um, it has made things different, but I don't think necessarily worse. And so I approach that question with great curiosity as opposed to fear. Well, I mean, as when you were, you know, discussing how students write things, I know uh, from conversations with students that I've had. And these have been some of the top students who have graduated high school with the 4.6 and they came to, you know, to the university on a full scholarship. And they have said to me, I don't write anything. I listen to everything and I speak all of my, all of my papers. And I thought that was interesting because how do you, how do you get a 4.6 and not write a paper? On the, on the other end of it, I think a lot of the time my work in the writing center is uh, with students who, because they're writing, they feel like they have to get fancy with their language while they're writing. I'm sure we've, we've all read a paper or two where a student has written something in such a fancy way that we don't even know what they meant to say in the, in the because they think that that's what a good paper is, is um, sounding fancy. And so a lot of the time, I'll say, well, what did you mean here? 
and they will start talking to me and just explaining it to me like I'm a regular Joe, which I am. <laughs> and then I'll just type it up, type up what exactly what they said. And so I think sometimes writing can be daunting because we have this idea that it has to sound like a fancy scholar would sound. But often fancy scholars, the fanciest of scholars, are sometimes the clearest writers because they have written as clearly and as like the way that you would want to explain it to someone verbally as possible. And I think if we can if we can meld these two these two issues, you know, the text to speech doesn't work very well, but knowing that we should just say what we mean, how we mean it is is that's a, the work of clarity too. Well, thank you both of you for joining us today and for talking to us about um, reading together and writing together and all of the advantages I think that that brings to the table. I've really enjoyed hearing your experiences, hearing the best practices, things that we should focus on um, if we're gonna pursue those ourselves. Uh, it was really informative. So I appreciate both of you being here. Yeah, thank yeah, you so thank much. You. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. This podcast was edited by Ashley Allen and transcribed by Janet Gentes. The theme music was created by Riley Morton. This content is copyrighted by the University of North Carolina at Pembroke and the College of Arts and Sciences. It is to be used for educational and non-commercial purposes only and is not to be changed, altered, or used in any commercial endeavor without the express written permission of authorized representatives of UNCP. The views and opinions expressed by the individuals during the course of these discussions are their own and do not necessarily represent the views, opinions, and positions of UNCP or any of its subsidiary programs, schools, departments, or divisions. While reasonable efforts have been made to ensure that information discussed is current and accurate at the time of release, neither UNCP nor any individual presenting material makes any warranty that the information presented in the original recording has remained accurate due to advances in research, technology, or industry standards. Thanks for listening, and go Braves!